We're kind of going through a marathon today with the number of lessons and this weekend. And I'm thankful for the opportunity. As I've mentioned many times already that in our work in Charlottesville, we're beginning to reach a lot of people who are reading the Bible for the first time. And it's very interesting as you try to give them concepts about who God is. And as I've begin to do more study, and I think this has been something and been transitioning in my life for the last 15 years, I've come to appreciate the great need for us to understand the character of God. The essence of our serving God, as we've talked about over and over in these lessons, is that we're to be conformed to the image of God and the image of Christ. And I truly believe this, that if we'll stay focused on God and His nature, it's going to keep us from a lot of trouble. It'll also bless us richly. It'll also give us the greatest uh, chance to help others go to heaven and great relationships. But if we get pulled aside into forms of idolatry, and it just may be just staying busy and, and, and not thinking about God, if we start getting pulled away from the love of God, then you're going to find Satan has some thoughts that he can put in our hearts and, and minds as well. And so we're, we're, we've been talking about the greatness of God, the goodness of God, of how the essence of worship is that we really bring our concepts of God back to him in worship, and that changes us. It changes our thoughts. But I'm going to show you Satan's alternative today. I'm going to talk about how if we'll stay in the love of God, we'll be fine. But I want to talk about some real dark things that is just a huge force today in this country. One of the things you're seeing in this country today, we've never been more isolated and lonely. You're seeing issues with mental health issues and depression issues statistically just rising, going through the ceiling right now. Particularly some of our the young women in particular, you're seeing percentages of things that have been changing radically in the last 10 years. And a lot of it has to do with the prevailing philosophy that's being pushed on us. Again, I, I hate to see people getting caught up in political anger, and we're going to see more of that. I urge Christians, stay away from that. Don't get swept up in that. Don't become so, so caught up in the forces of this world. And tonight, I'm, or this afternoon, I want to talk to you about, you know, deception. Satan wants to deceive us. And we've been talking about over and over again that the Word of God can teach us truth. The Word of God with a heart that has that living water or that heart that understands the gift of God or that heart that understands we are made to give. If we're going to be like God, we're going to give of our life. We're not here there to try to fight for power and to tear people down. But Satan has a very powerful tool. His tool is called the works of the flesh. We're going to talk about how he can get you angry and bitter and he can take your mind away. If you stay in the love of God, you'll see reality. You don't, you're not, you don't have to make it all about you. You know, it's all about God. And so as we talk about reason, Satan cannot win the battleground of truth. He knows he's beat before you start. But do you know what he can do? He can take your mind away. And so we've, we've talked about this verse this morning and other passages. The, the key element of, of, of spiritual growth, it says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, who by reason of use have their senses exercised and discern both good and evil. We need to understand how God has put us together. God is basically wants to be 
dwelling within us. We're the temple of God. His thoughts abide within us. And we will be powerfully blessed in this life and a blessing to others. But Satan, once he gets somebody messed up in their thinking and they're angry and they're in this dog-eat-dog world, they'll call good evil and evil good. You know the verse, Isaiah 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And so we want to talk again about the battleground that we have in fighting Satan. One more time about Satan. You know what God does? God gives us Satan's battle plan from A to Z. You know, in football, sometimes if an opposing team knows what the other team's going to do ahead of time, they can win the game. You know what God does? He tells us ahead of time, you know, here's how Satan's going to come at you. And Satan's major theme is lies. He wants to lie to you. He wants you to believe a lie. He wants you to run from reality. He wants you to go hide in a hole and become isolated and bitter. And John 8, 44, it says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Brethren, we may feel good in believing a lie, but I want to guarantee you in the long run it's not going to work. God says, I know who you are. I know what you need. I know how to give you peace. And it's fascinating here as Jesus tells these people that they are scoffing at him, they're laughing at him, but it's not very long until you get to verse 48. They're just attacking Jesus. Then the dude, Jesus answered and said to him, did we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> I mean, you're seeing the power of deceit. Religious people. It was the religious people that crucified Jesus. The, the, the constitution of the nation was the word of God. And the people at the highest level had their minds polluted and their minds shut down. Let the love of God stay within our thinking process where we want the light, where we're humbled by that. We can find what is true and what is right. Truth can be challenging, but truth is always the thing we need. What I'm talking about tonight, God's love gives us freedom. John 8, 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. One of the characteristics when we're captured by Satan is we're angry, we're mad, we're isolated, and we feel empty. And Satan's put us in a prison. And you know how to get out of that prison? Say, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about me. Lord, just take my, my heart. Let me see what I need to know. And God will forgive you, provide for you, heal you, and make you useful for His service. And so, brethren, this I'm going to talk to you tonight about the number one killer of Christians in my opinion. I want to show you, and, and, and there's many examples. I look back at people that I, I love that went down a difficult path. I want to show you how Satan works, and I want to continue to emphasize how God works. Here's the key verse tonight. And it's very interesting as you look at this verse. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. All right, the two greatest commandments. We could state those two commandments, couldn't we? 
But let's break this down. I think you'll find this very eye-opening as you examine this. Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at verse 40. Verse 40 is startling. Verse 40, if we begin to look at it, ought to get our attention. We, we talk about how there's passages that sometimes, you know, it really should grab our attention. This is one of them. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When I understand the love of God, I've got, God, what do you want from me? God, what, what do you want me to become? Just take my life. Show me where to go. And he says, here's what I want. I want you to put me first. I want you to understand my love, the favor, the goodness. I appreciate the prayer. We can see when God revealed himself in the Old Testament in the giving of the Ten Commandments, I'm a gracious God, merciful, forgiving. You know, here's I'm a God, I, I, I will relent. I will forgive you. And then, how I treat others. Wait a minute, I can love God because God's lovable. It's easy to love God. What? How I treat others. There, my brethren, is the acid test for you and me. Is the love of God central in my life? You'll find the difference in watch how you think and treat others. And so, there's my lesson. I, I've done this every week, haven't I? Every lesson. I, I give you maybe five minutes or ten minutes and I say, oh yeah, here's a lesson. If you take that home, you got it. So now let me give you all the details. But I'm telling you, we're going to find this a few more times in Scripture that hang all the law and the prophets. Whoa. You know, it's interesting, again, as review, when we understand the love of God, we're humbled. When we understand the love of God, love of God leads us to repentance. Love of God will empty our will, and we're grateful to do that. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 talks about, it says, And now, O Lord, You are our Father, we are the clay, You are our potter, and we are the work of Your hand. We've already many, many times, almost in every lesson, we talked about Romans 8.29, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He may be the firstborn amongst many brethren. How should I treat others? What would Jesus do? How should I treat others? How did Jesus treat others? How should I respond to anger and bitterness and anger? How did Jesus respond? You see, that's the power of the gospel. And so, let's now talk about Satan. I, I, you know, I, the lesson is advertised as the love of God, but I'm going to spend most of my time talking about Satan. We've been talking about the love of God. The love of God is beautiful. It's pure. But one of the greatest tools that Satan has, he has his evangelist. And his evangelist oftentimes will affect you and me by relationships. What do you do? And the, you know, when rather than mistreat you. You know, if I was to look, here's the thing, you, you, Hannah, you probably remember this, but in, in, I talk to this all the time in Auburn, you know. But I used to tell our students that, you know, if there came a day where you just walked away from the Lord, and oftentimes it would be because of hurt, because of bitterness, because of anger. And how many times have I seen brethren end up going into a path I'd never dreamed they wouldn't. They, they cut me off. They would be angry at me. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. I never did anything wrong with them. But many times what Satan will do, somebody may have legitimately hurt another. And that's not right. And by the way, you know who can hurt you the most? People that love you the most. People you're closest to. 
But for somebody to be hurt at another, and then rather than respond as Jesus would respond, and they get angry, and then they start hurting them, guess what? Satan was behind that brother doing wrong. And then you turn around and do wrong, and Satan wins both of you. That's Satan's evangelism. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to do something bad to you. And now you turn around and you act just like the person that has hurt you. And eventually it'll make you a crazy person. You'll lose your mind. You'll turn your back on the Lord. And could I say this? It makes no sense. Satan, when he gets caught a hold of you, he'll get you emotional. He'll get you remembering your hurt. You become identified with people that hurt you. You can't let it go. can't get it out of your mind. You get mad at a brother and you take it out on the Lord. It's like getting mad at the dog and kicking the cat. It makes no sense, but it doesn't matter. That's the nature of Satan. And what we need to remember is that God loves me. And God gave me what I didn't deserve. I was His enemy and He loved me. And you know what I'm going to do with my enemy? You ready for this, brethren? I'm going to love them. And I may need to ask God's help. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but you know, that's what i got to do. Romans 3, 4, certainly not indeed. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Let's remember that. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and may be overcome when you're judged. Now let's talk about the main thrust today is I'm going to talk about bitterness and anger. One of the things that you ought to look at in your life is what direction are your relationships heading? Are you in a path where you're drawing the circle closer and cutting people off? By the way, that's a characteristic of depression. By the way, a person can be a spiritual person in battle, a spiritual, spiritual person in battle depression. Many Christians do so. We all go through phases. Some have others. That doesn't make you an unspiritual person. But one of the things you got to do is fight your thoughts. And Satan tries to destroy your relationships, bring you into it a, a, a collapsing circle. And we've got to be very careful, brethren, that we're quick to judge others unmercifully and throw them away. Hebrews 12.15 One of the main avenues of Satan's evangelism is getting you mad and keeping you mad. Hebrews 12, 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest, in, let, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. All right, let's take a step backwards. Let's now talk about Satan's game plan. Three things he's going to attack you. Three things, okay? Ready? What Satan wants to do is take away everything that's good for us, and here's how he does it. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's break this down. I want to show you how this works. And I, I, you know, I'm kind of frustrated and I'll stay on time today because I got so much stuff. I can talk for hours about this. This is one I always hurt when I see somebody, you know, get pulled away. I, and I, I wish that what could I have said ahead of time to help them? What could I have done to bring them back? But let's talk about how Satan works. The first thing I think the greatest problem we face is pride. Pride makes yourself the center of the universe. 
Watch the middle letter in pride. It is I. And you know, when you understand the love of God, you know what happens when you, when you understand the love of God? There's some things about yourself you understand. First off, God is pure. I am not. God loves me. God is holy. I am not. And somehow I have my value because of God's love. My esteem, my identity, who I am, my God loved me. God so loved the world. And when that becomes my identity, I don't deserve it. He gave this to me. That mercy is so good, I can't help but tell you about God and talk to you about my God. And if our mindset stays there, Satan can't touch us. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. The idea is that without God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in poverty. I'm nothing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. You know what? As a Christian, I'm not afraid to see my sin. I do fall short. I continue to fall short. I recognize that. But my God says, I will take you where you're at. I'll make you something. I'll forgive you. I'll hold you close to me. And you know what I want to do? When I have that attitude, there's no room for pride. None. But I had to say, Satan will take good things and he can turn it into pride. I'm glad to preach. I'm glad to communicate. But you know, preachers can easily fall into pride. Leadership can. And this is not in the outline, but 1 Timothy 3.7, you don't appoint anyone to be an elder. It says if you appoint a novice to be an elder, he could be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The apostle Paul had to fight pride. You know how he was given the thorn in the flesh? He says because of the abundance of revelations to me, lest he be puffed up. And so sometimes blessings God gives us, if we're not careful, we may let it turn to pride. And guess what, brethren, too? He may allow troubles to come into our life to keep us humble. Now, that's a whole other subject. And that wasn't in my outline, but uh, fighting pride is so important. And, and sometimes insecure people are proud. They're not really thinking themselves that great, but sometimes they do it as a way to make them feel good and it really just destroys them. In pride, we become the flawless center of our own universe. Jeremiah talked about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, you know what? When I turn myself to God, God says, I want to show your heart. I I know it's ugly, but guess what? I can help you. When you get in pride, we want to close our eyes and pretend we're perfect. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even give to, uh, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so, proud people, yeah, they want people to give me allowances, but they'll write others off. Proud people, oh, people need to understand me. They hurt me. They didn't understand me. But then we have no understanding of others. We make accusations about people without even communicating with them. Really? Aren't you doing the same thing you said others did to you? You see, Here is Satan's love. And I put that certainly in, uh, you know, quotations. You know what Satan's love is? Here's what it is. Here's where Satan wants to take your life. And Titus 3, and notice deception is found in the heart of this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. Now notice this. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And you can have somebody with a smile and save the grace of God and they'll smile at you and within they are bitter people. And I'm going to tell you that we don't want to be there. 
Sometimes it's a religious mask that's put on. Sometimes it's another mask. But notice what changes us. Verse 4, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. My brethren, I don't have to be right. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to defend myself. Now, I want truth. Understand, when I say I don't have to be right, if I'm wrong, if I thought something was right and I find out I'm wrong, guess what? I can change and repent. That's what I mean. I want to be right. God is always truth. But you see, it's not about me. That I'm not the center of the universe. And that helps all of us. Now, let's talk about how we think and treat others. This is where I want to go ahead and buckle in. And I hope you think I've been reading your email. I hope you may think somebody told Larry to preach this and you know that none of that's happened. But these are, these are lessons I talk about a lot. I'll have to tell you. If I had a hobby, I'd talk about this one a lot. Look at Matthew 7, 12. These are the words of our Lord. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Look at that next phrase. For this is the law and the prophets. Whoa. Isn't that saying, love your neighbor as yourself? Yep, another way of saying it. Same thing. How are we doing? Let's talk about him. In the Old Testament, there were vulnerable people that came to the nation of Israel. I've never been an immigrant. Remember, Nathan and Stephen decided to take me on a trip to Israel. It was a great trip. I'll never forget that trip. But we got there to Israel, and Stephen decided we're not going to go on a tour bus. We're going to rent a car, and they're going to take me places. And they wore me out, first off. They wore me out. There are more hills in Jerusalem. I felt like I climbed more steps in one week in Jerusalem than I did in a decade of my life, in maybe two decades. But one of the very humbling things was we didn't speak the language, and we couldn't read the language. It looked like Klingon up there, you know, the, the Hebrews like, what is this? And we, we couldn't even pump gas without asking for help. I'll never forget one time we, we went to a grocery store and Nathan wanted to get him some olives. And so they had some olives out and they had a container and he puts it in the container and we go on the fast line and they're going, saying some other language like, you didn't do this right. And I remember one Israeli behind Nathan, he goes, I could imagine what he was thinking, Americans, you know, here we are in the fast line. And he grabbed, they grabbed the olives, but he was very kind, and he took Nathan with him and showed him how to do it. And I appreciate that. But that was humbling. I was thinking, what if I had to live here the whole time? I mean, it was humbling. We have a lot of immigrants. I'm loving when I work in, in Charlottesville. We're meeting a lot of people that are immigrants. We've, we've had, and I could talk to you about that. We had one Nigerian couple that we've gotten very close to recently. She recently obeyed the gospel. But it's, I love, I love in Auburn as we're working with our Hispanic work. That was just great. So humbling. Exodus 22, 21. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It's quite interesting. You could take advantage of a stranger. I mean, when we were in Israel, we could easily be taken advantage of. And here he's saying, you were once there. You remember this. Look at Exodus 23.8. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds of the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. 
And you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Have you ever had somebody do something kind to you when you were in a vulnerable position? You remember that, don't you? And here's what the Lord is saying here. You need to understand, you're not superior to somebody else. You you just don't look down on others because they're of another race or another place. They can't speak the language you do. You need to understand you were once in Egypt and you know how people could take advantage of you. You don't do that. You treat another just like you'd have them treat you. And if we would remember that in every relationship, my brethren, it'll keep us from a lot of anger and bitterness and foolish thoughts and actions. How do we deal with our hurts? Do we remember our hurts and we can't let go of it? One of the things about bitterness is that it is easy, easy to be pulled into an unjust and an unmerciful mindset. That's what politics is all about, frankly. If I can get somebody mad before the election and they'll vote for me rather than the other guy, we'll do it. Here you've got to not only just oppose the guy, you got to hate him. That's not right. That spirit is terrible. We're going to have all these millions of dollars being pumped into the advertisements in the last next year or so trying to get us mad. And it affects the church. And we've got to fight that. 1 John 3.15, now let's get personal. I've been in local churches that treated bitterness almost like a flea bite. I remember some churches I went to, they used to have what I call the, the their business meetings was showdown at the OK Corral, man. We'll fire it out and we'll, you know, shoot one another up and everybody laughs about it. And I, you know, I will tell you, I've tried with all my heart in the places I've gone. We can't keep doing that, brethren. How we handle one another in a business meeting or some other thing is going to be judged by God and it's going to set a pattern in the congregation. First John 3.15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Safe, you know, bitterness is easily, is easily shared. It's easy to get you mad quickly, isn't it? They don't have to reason with you. Like I say, this terrible thing happened and you don't get the context. You don't know what was said. And certainly you see that on TV all the time. Let's get mad. And Satan goes, all right, my evangelism's working. Keep reading. Leviticus 19.18, let's go back to the Old Testament. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Uh Uh-oh, have we heard this verse before? Look at this in the context of it. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Number one killer of Christians I have found to come right here. You become bitter. You become unjust. It's like accepting, I'm going to get a little bit of cancer because I really want to hurt this person. I'm just going to take a little bit of cancer into my life. You know the terrible disease of cancer. You can start that and then it may never end until it kills you. We have to really check our hearts and not let these unjust thoughts come into our lives. Look at Leviticus 19. Let's keep going. The stranger, whoever go back to them, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. Uh oh, look at this verse. And you shall love him as yourself. Does that sound familiar? 
For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement, in length, in weight, or volume. And then he talks about other ways that you can cheat somebody. You know what you do when you hate somebody? You're not afraid to cheat them. And sometimes we'll cheat them through gossip. They've hurt me and I'll talk about them. And you know in local churches, sometimes you'll get what I call the fellowship of the miserable. People get together and they talk about this one's hurt me, this one's hurt me. And then you take the person you hate and you put them under a magnifying glass and you can't wait for them to do something wrong. And even when they don't do something wrong, you can read their mind. Isn't it amazing the powers you get when you get involved with the hatred? A congregation that I preached at for seven years had a man come in a little over a year after I was there, and I, we, I didn't know it at the time. I, I was trusted the elders there would pick a good man and be able to oversee the congregation. But over the period of time that he was there, I didn't know it at the time, but he was working in the background. And the things that he did developed a whole lot of bitterness. People that I worked with, some that I baptized into Christ. It later all came out. But if you want to see Satan's wisdom, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. I'm just going to have to quickly give you what I call the three pillars of Satan. First off, bitterness toward brethren. We've already looked at Hebrews 12 and verse 15 and how, again, bitterness oftentimes is not held by one person but it's spread to others. It talks about that bitterness springing up caused trouble and by this many become defiled. Look at the works of the flesh, my brethren. Years ago, an old gospel preacher, he was in his 80s when I was in my 20s, Irvin Lee. I'll never forget, he was in a meeting, he talked about, I want you to see the anger family. And he talked about how the enormous part of the works of the flesh relate to anger and bitterness. Notice in verse 20, it talks about hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions. And you know what? I could go further with envy, murders, and drunkenness. Do you know that a lot of addiction comes from buried anger? And a lot of depression comes from that. Again, it's not necessarily you're sinning if you're depressed. I want to make that clear. But sometimes when we hold on to something, we can't let go of it. It just saps our energy and it destroys us. And remember the end in verse 21. As I told you in times past, and those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to show you how this works. When people are angry, they rarely will admit they're wrong. When people are angry, they're very quick to make quick judgments of others. You know, sometimes I see young people struggling to make faith their own. And sometimes, you know, all of our students heard me talk about this. Look, I'm not upset with you if you disagree with something I believe. I'm not upset with you if you look back and say, you know, there's some things the churches that I was raised in, I disagree with them. That in itself does not bother me at all. And we'll talk about this tomorrow night. How, how do you take your doubt? If you don't have some doubt, something's wrong with you. You're not thinking. Doubt is not bad. It's not bad. It's a good thing when it's handled properly. 
Now what I see with some people, they have these doubts and rather than saying, hey, I want the truth on this, they won't study with anyone and they begin to make very broad, caustic, you know, just observations about churches as a whole and there's when you get into trouble. Oh yeah, churches of Christ, they're legalistic. They're angry people, they're traditionalists, they're mindless, and you can put any other word you want to put in there. Could I tell you, and I'm talking about whether or not you're old or young, you don't have the right to say that. You're putting yourself in God's throne. I may know of some people that I've worked with and I've talked to and I could say they have this problem, but to somehow think you know what's going on with churches everywhere, you and I can't do that. I can't do that. You're following me? We're making blanket statements. You can take a local church. You know, when I was in Auburn, we had some people that were struggling. They struggled with hypocrisy. They struggled with other things. You know what? Somebody could look at those people. The whole church is full of hypocrites. No, they're not. <laughs> There's just a few people. You see what I'm saying? Satan, when he gets you bitter, he makes you make charges against innocent people. And please be careful. You and I, I've been, I've done this as preachers sometimes, thinking, oh yeah, the whole church has got this problem. I don't know what the whole church has got. I do know what the Bible says about some things, but I don't need to make a broad statement. Look at what anger can do to you. This is an amazing verse. Deuteronomy 29. What does that wormwood mean? We read in Hebrews 12, 15. Well, it's based on this verse. Look at this. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Now notice. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. You know what wormwood is? It's bitter. Yeah. Sometimes I'll joke with the bed. I have taste of things. I talked about this morning about liver and onions. There's another thing that I like that Yvette can't take, take, you know, doesn't even want to see. And I love dill pickered flavored uh, pork rinds. And like, oh, don't even open that in my sight, you know. And so, you know, there's some things that you can eat that are like, ooh. But you know what? Here, why would somebody say there's no God and go worship an idol? You know that's mindless. You and I know that's not true. You know how to get somebody with confidence to say, I can do this? Get them bitter. Satan gets you bitter and you'll lose your mind. Notice the next verse. This is amazing. And so it may not happen that when he hears the words of this curse, that he blesses himself. Here's the pride. He blesses himself in his heart. He's patting himself on the back. I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. As though the drunkard could be included with the sober. There's a political philosophy being pushed down our throats right now, and it has affected people. And it's a a politics of bitterness. And you would start making broad category like sweeps of people because of the color of their skin or whether or not they're male. It's amazing. It's like the 50s being lived over again by another group. And they just make broad statements about people without ever knowing them. Make accusations of people without ever knowing what they think or what they've done. They'll accuse me, you and me of others of being guilty of something when we've never thought it. They'll put you in a group that, I don't want to be part of that group. That group doesn't like me anyway. But we're talking about people that become angry. And in the political culture, you can't talk to them. When you're filled with anger and it becomes your identity to be angry, it's not about reason. 
And I guarantee you, when we get away from those words that Paul, that you prayed about, when we get about those words and applying them, we're in Satan's territory firmly. It'll destroy you. That's why I'm passionate about this. It frustrates me to people that I once loved and baptized into Christ and they get caught up in this movement and they say, well, Larry, I believe you're wrong, wrong. They won't even talk to me, but that's the problem. I'd love to open the Bible and say, hey, let's talk about it. And we can't even get to that. I'm an enemy and I love them. I've never done anything to them. But this is an old pattern that's as old as men have existed and that Satan has polluted others. Be careful about getting caught up in that spirit. Um, I'm going to move along to another section here if I could. Cause here, let's talk about pride toward brethren. One of the reasons oftentimes you won't talk to somebody is because you don't think they're worthy of being talked to anymore. Yeah, those old ignorant, blind people, those legalists, yeah, they're just going to quote this verse. They're not going to listen to me. And you know what? There are some people that are that way. I don't want to be that way. If anybody's ever known me, I, you know, I want to listen to you. You may hear me from the pulpit because I've got a one-sided thing. You know, I can talk here. But I really want to listen to you. I, I, I do not want to make any conclusion about you until I hear you. And I want you to understand my beliefs. You need to listen to me. I can be wrong. You can be wrong. God is right. But in Luke 18 and verse 9, here there was a, a parable that Jesus told. He told why he told the parable. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, there's pride, and that they were righteous and despised others. You know, there's wonderful things we can do in this life. We can take care of the needy. It's great work. It's going to become a greater work. We're facing things right now in our country. We're seeing things around us. We're, we're, we're going to face some very difficult times. We're there. It's going to get worse. We need to reach out to others and care for them. There are times people will say, well, there's a need over here in trying to help in this situation. And you know what? If you see those needs, it's a beautiful thing. But don't do this. Don't do it and say, why aren't others doing it? Don't do it and say, oh, yeah, you must be unspiritual. You're not doing this. You know what? You don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I do want you to know that. I don't want to get up here and tell you things I'm doing, then I'll lose my reward. You know, I don't want to talk. talk. We, we all, some people want to do it in an organized way. Others do it individually. Now, we may be thinking about others. And I would be right and concerned about my brethren if we're just isolated within our own ivory tower and we're ignoring the hurt around us. But see, there's a difference between letting the love of God push you to good things or doing it because of pride and bitterness. And a lot of people do benevolent work because of arrogance. And do I need to quote you Matthew 6 where they do it to be seen of men? You know, they were, they had the trumpet before them. Look at me. So there's the difference. Don't let what you're doing cause you to look down on your brethren. If those two things are going together, you got some problems. You don't want to despise others for the good that you're doing. And I think I've made the point here, uh, here, there were those Pharisees that say, Oh, you can't believe in Jesus. None of the educated people have. 2 Corinthians 10.12, what I'm talking to you about is don't get caught up in a group where you think you're great and your brethren, you look down on them. The 2 Corinthians 10.12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 
And I love what verse 18 talks about. This is the thrust of our series. Let's keep the Lord in view. Lord, tell me how to think. Tell me how to act. It says, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Um, two more points and then lesson is yours. I told you, I don't ever cover the whole outline. And this one, I mean, yeah, I could go for hours on. Let's, I want to move down to the, the idea of dishonesty. Look at Luke chapter 20 and verse 4. Here we are. I do want to give one more illustration. I want to go back to the church that was deeply hurt and affected. You know, I love the preacher that I'm, I'm not naming by name, but I, I love him. I care about him. But brethren are very vulnerable to bitterness. And he once had a Twitter account that he kept private and then later became public. And you could go back in the past and see how he interacted with others. And he had this negative view of churches of Christ as a whole. And it was an unfair view. He was talking on Twitter one time about my wife and I watched some historical documentary or docudrama where they took some, you know, they added some things to history that wasn't documented on the Hatfields and the McCoys. What do you think about the Hatfields and the McCoys? They want to shoot each other up. And he was talking about in one of the docudramas, the Hatfields went into a church of Christ and he said him and his wife almost fell down laughing. <laughs> of course they would. By the way, they had no association with Church of the Cross. But here were some people working with young people, planting this bitterness in a broad way that was unjust. I remember Irvin Lee was asked the question, why do your brethren believe on this? You know what his answer was? My brethren believe both sides of any question you want to ask. When you talk about churches of Christ, you got healthy churches, unhealthy churches, you got faithful members, you got unfaithful members, you got all kinds of things. You see, that, that's the Lord's church. The Lord takes care of that. That's not my business. And you know who I choose to remember? Godly people. Good people. And see, the effect of bitterness. I'm going to almost skip my outline. I'm going to look at this in a minute. One of the things that was done was that there was almost a preference for anything that was different than what churches of Christ historically have believed they wanted to take that position, and one of them was social drinking. I'm not speaking on that subject tonight, but I remember a parent came up to me later, do you know what happened? I had one of my relatives go to this preacher's house he had never drunk in his life. And, he, and then the preacher approached him, have you ever tasted a beer? Have you ever drunk? Would you like to try one? And they introduced alcohol. And he ended up getting fired for this. But then the church that formed from that, they would have get-togethers and they would have emails go out, BYOB, to the church invitation, bring your own beer. I have in my... New American Standard Bible that I've had for 20 years, the name of the young people that I taught when I was there. Two of those young people are now dead. You introduce alcohol, you're going to introduce a whole lot of other things. One became a binge drinker. He got involved in other things. And, 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 he, and we had two of them within, uh, I think, a few days had overdoses. 
There's reasons to be careful and wise. But it, was, it wasn't just the alcohol. There was a bitterness that was planted. And I, it hurt me. I tried to reason with some of these on social media. They got caught up in the political movement. And they would suggest that, you know, the, the battle over homosexuality and other things. I, this is not my lesson today. But I'm just saying that anger... Addiction oftentimes is related to anger. It's not just the substance itself. And you don't want to form a group that we're not like these. We're the anti-church of Christ church. That's deadly spiritually. That group won't last and that group didn't last. You can't build a group on anger. You can build it on love of God. And by the way, brethren, we can have some differences in our reasoning. Even on some of these things, we can talk about that. But what I'm talking to you here is about bitterness. Luke 20 and verse 4. One more thing and then I say I'm going to finish on time. I really, I really think I'm going to do that, but it's, uh, there's so much to talk about here. Luke 20 and verse 4. Here Jesus asks a simple question. Here's, when you got a good heart, you can give my answers. Now notice what happens here. Luke 24, the baptism of John wasn't from heaven or was it from men. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Now notice, they had a position. But guess what? Mm, Verse 7, So they answered and said they did not know where it was from. You know what happens when you get caught up in Satan's ways? You will lie. And then you have to lie about your lie. There's something about what I want the truth. I'm going to tell you what I believe is right. And if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But you see, they they hated Jesus. And because they hated Jesus, they were not going to be honest about what they believed. Bitterness will cause you to cover up things. It's amazing how this stuff changes your heart. The gospel can only be received in a certain kind of heart. But it says, On the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it, and bring forth fruit with patience. I'm going to go back to the illustration because it's been a painful one for me. I remember there was a brother that I baptized in 1978. And he got real close to this preacher. Again, I, I'm not trying to, I'm really not trying to tear him down per se. I really, I don't, I, but I'm just giving you, it really hurt me to watch this brother his, suddenly pull away from me. And then he began to post a lot of things on Facebook. I'm going like, what? What? You could see a doctrinal drift. And what was happening the preacher would preach in general things. One brother said he held a meeting and goes, I, I, I don't know what he believes. There's there what he called veiled subtleties that leave you uneasy after hearing the sermon. But what was happening, he had a group of inner disciples and they came right out with that position. And it, it, it caused me to realize, oh no, there's something going on in private. Now I couldn't prove it. I couldn't make any accusation because there was nothing to be documented. When people sometimes are working in the background like this, there, there's one brother, another brother, another situation. I say they would put handle on their words. Oh, what do you mean this? He goes, no, no, he'll take this this word. I mean this by this, like in uh, the controversy in political areas, what somebody says, you don't. I, I, I have to tell you what the, the word is means. When people get into deception, 
It's hard. They don't want to be honest with what they believe, but privately they'll put that in other people. You get them angry, you can almost put any doctrine down their mouths and they'll go down that path. So my battle here, brothers, is on anger. Not if we have a difference, but if we have a difference, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's get the Word open. And see, that's the thing that's not happening. The Bible is being closed. Brethren are being written off. And by the way, it doesn't just happen in the divisions like I've talked to you. It's a battle in every local church. If you have unresolved bitterness and unresolved anger and you don't deal with it and you ignore it, just wait and see what happens. Do I have to tell this group about that? I don't, do I? You've got to stand up and face your issues and get them out. But almost every church that I know of in time deals with that. And so anyway, I've, I have definitely... Uh, give me one more verse. Let me talk about honesty. You know, Second Corinthians... i got to look at that. Second Corinthians 4. They were talking about honesty. That the, When you know somebody has got the love of God, they will be honest with you. 2 Corinthians 4.2 But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, I'm going to open the Bible. I'll tell you what I believe. And somebody else say, here's what I believe. You know what? That's what I respect about many denominational preachers that, that have at least an honesty about them. They'll come at me. Hey, Larry, you believe this? I disagree with you. Here's the book, chapter, and verse. We don't have much of that going on anymore, almost anywhere. But that's what we need to be. Honest people. John 18, 20. How did Jesus teach? Did Jesus put his finger up in there? I gotta see how the audience is going to respond before I tell you what. No, 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 no. He didn't do that. When he was put on trial, he said, Jesus answered, and I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret, I have said nothing. Two verses, and then we draw the conclusion. Let's go to the love of God in 1 Corinthians, the couple of verses. Here, here's one. James 2.13. Remember this. When the love of God is in our heart, it's going to change how we view others. We're not going to be quick to jump to conclusions. James 2.13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, one more verse, and that's going to be 1 Corinthians 13. And verse 7. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. Here we are. Oop. All right. What does love do? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I'm going to be the, be, be, believe the best about you until I know better. And, I, and if you see something, please talk to me. I pray that I'll always be receptive to people that want to challenge me. You see, because I'm in the love of God, I can say, if I'm wrong, guess what? Okay, then I could correct myself. If I'm caught up in pride, I can't be wrong. No, no, no. That's what the love of God does. And guess what? It makes you approachable. You make allowances for others. And we'll end on this verse. The love of God demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. 
What did Jesus say about those people that had mistreated him, that had made false accusations against him, that falsely believed things in him? Did he respond with accusations to them? God, wipe them out. Burn them to a crisp. We got to give up on the Jewish nation. They just give up on them. No. Then Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. I hope I'm understood tonight. I always feel inadequate. And I want to be careful. Again, I have no animosity for anybody that I've illustrated, for not one person. But I do know the unwise nature of us not watching our tongues. Of us not dealing with the hurt in our life and dealing with it and moving ahead. We've got to do that. And to me, I find very few exceptions in my life of people who fall away that didn't go down this pattern. And you'll create your own hell on earth. You won't be happy. Why does God love us? You look at the best sometimes even with the church. You know what? God loves us. And God says, look, I got the formula to get you grounded in me. Guess what? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the flawless center of the universe anymore. You don't have to be the judge, jury, and executioner of others. And that's another problem sometimes when somebody's hurt us. We want them punished. And what does God say? Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. Let it go. Give it to God. And you know what happens in all this? We've got peace. God gives me things I can do. I can give to others. I can help others. I can be a tool for good. And not some ambassador of bitterness. There's my lesson. If we stay filled with God, this junk is pushed out of our lives. Thank you. You've been a great audience. We want to extend the invitation tonight. The invitation song's been selected. We surveyed the cross. What a great song. You know what? When I surveyed the cross, man, I've been blessed by God. Let me respond to all things as Jesus would respond. What a great God we serve. If you need to respond in any way, would you come as we stand and sing?